to the study of the Word of God. Reading and looking and growing in grace and letting God lead us into truth. We uh, I almost got way ahead of my, I almost gave you the conclusion for tonight. We don't do that just yet. Uh, but he asked a question in Psalm 119, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? What's going to make a difference in someone's life? What's going to change them? Uh, and, and boy, you know, we spend a whole lot of time here preaching. We don't have that time. But, uh, you know, it's not religion. It's not denomination. It's, it's not uh, parentage. It's, it's not all of those things. He's, he goes on and says, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Uh, and then he finishes up that last verse that we read. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right? So it's the Word of God that is so special to us that we must, we must assimilate. Uh, a friend of mine that's a missionary in Mexico uh, asked this question the other day. This is a loaded question, and I, I, I didn't answer it on Facebook. I, I try not to do that, you know, those controversial things. I try to stay out of those as much as I can. So I, I text him personally and answered his question. But he asked this question. He said, how much Bible should you read daily? And he left it at that. And that's an open-ended question, right? <laughs> that's, that, that's, a, that's a question that leads to much controversy. So I text him back, and here's my, here was my answer. Now, it may differ from yours, and that's fine, but my answer to him was this. You should read enough Bible that you can assimilate and digest and meditate upon daily. Well, I read 15 chapters. Did you remember any of it? Well, I only read three verses. But I meditated on those three verses and thought about them and assimilated them into my life and digested them. I'd, read, I'd rather you read three verses than 15 chapters and get something out of it. Amen. All right? Uh, so, so we've got to be willing to study to show ourselves the proof. We've got to get in this book and we've got to grow in grace. And that's what all this week's been about. We started uh, with the introduction and Tuesday night we talked about inspiration. Uh, and we learned this statement here. The Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of the living God. Now we've all agreed about uh, that throughout the week. Then we talked about preservation. If God inspired His Word, He promised that He would preserve His Word. So that's the next statement. God has preserved His perfect Word for us today. Alright, we spent all that time. If you missed any of that, I apologize. You need to go back and pick it up uh, online somewhere. Uh, then we talked about last night, we talked about translation. And we talked about this statement, God has provided His Word to the English-speaking world in the King James Bible. All right, So we dealt with a lot of that last night and talked about how all of that took place and the transition there. So today what we're going to do is we're going to jump into what I'm going to call investigation. Because again, depending on who you listen to, Google knows most of the answers, but half of the answers Google has are wrong. How many of you have ever Googled a medical... Uh, a, a medical situation. That is a dangerous thing to do, right? Because I guarantee you, you Google your symptoms and, and you're going to have the worst case of, of, of rarest cancer you've ever seen, all right? I mean, that's just, that's just the way Google works. Uh, same thing with religion. You, 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 you Google something about religion, they're going to give you some off-of-the-wall uh, answer, all right? Uh, we're, we're not after that. What we want to do is investigate the Word of God and spend the time in reading and looking and, and studying uh, the Word of God to find the answers that God has for us as we're led by the Holy Spirit of God and we allow that Spirit of God to lead us to that truth uh, that's found and contained within the Scriptures. 
All right? Uh, so we, we've got to have that, that area of study. So we'll look at that uh, tonight. That's going to be our, our area of thought. There are three areas that we're going to deal with tonight, uh, and we're going to run. So you just put your running shoes on and, and just run with us. It'll be fine. Uh, the first one is we're going to talk about the revisions, the revisions of the King James Bible. Now, I'm not afraid of that. I, I'm not afraid to talk about that. I'm not afraid to deal with that because we have to be honest and we have to be truthful and we have to know what we're talking about if we're going to have any credibility in talking to someone about this idea of Bible versions. All right? So we'll talk about that for, uh, first. And then we're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with contradictions. And I left it like that on purpose. Contradictions. I'll say it now. Supposed contradictions in the King James Bible. All right? We'll deal with those. We'll, not all of those. But we'll talk about a number of those. Uh, and then we're going to deal with some a the accuracy uh, of the King James Bible as well. Again, what we're trying to do through this week is increase your confidence in the Word of God. Well, preacher, my, you're not going to be able to increase my confidence. Well, may, maybe we'll just kind of uh, uh, cheer you on a little bit then. But that's my, my goal is just to help you when you approach this book. You, you, you don't approach it from, well, maybe God will talk to me today. Maybe I'll find something that's good today. But every time we approach that book, we approach it with the idea, I'm opening the mind of God and God wants to speak to me and God wants to reveal to me truth and and God wants to help me and encourage me and lead me in the right direction, all right? So we're going to deal with these three things tonight, uh, and, and hopefully by the time we get done, uh, it, it will encourage you some. So let's start with the revisions of the King James Bible. It's interesting to me uh, that most of the modern perversions today, uh, the first thing that they'll tell you uh, is, well, you know, we're just making things easier to read. Now, is that a true statement? Uh, is that actually what they're doing? Now we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but also the second thing they're going to do is they're going to say this. Not only are they going to say we're just making it easier. The second thing they're going to say is, well, we're just following uh, the, what the, they did with the King James. The King James, they revised it. So we're just following and continuing what they did. Is that true? Is there any credibility to that? As you go back and you look at the King James Bible, we're going to deal with, and there, you could break it down into different ways. I've heard people break it down into seven to eight to four. I do four because it's basically talking about the general reasons and not each specific revision or work that they did. All right? So we'll just do with four. If that doesn't fit your number, you know, take it up with the preacher after service. All right. The first one. Uh, is the correcting of printing errors. And by 1629, remember, 1611 is when they printed uh, the first King James Bible. Now, remember, it wasn't quite like we do it today. They didn't hit a button and, 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 and get, and get uh, um, aggravated because the printer takes so long. Come on now. So, some of you don't understand that. Man, I can, I can remember when you didn't hit a button and it printed, I can remember sitting there, I paid my way through seminary, sitting in front of a typewriter doing this, typing each page by hand so somebody could turn in a, a thesis uh, to get their degree. All right? I remember that. You're, 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 you're dating yourself, preacher. I understand that, but I'm just trying to say it. It's not like we, it is today. You know, you, you don't put it on a computer, do spell check, and it checks all your spelling and all your grammar and all of that stuff and, and fixes it all for you. That's not the way that worked. 
All right? They had not only uh, was it uh, 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 like I did it, but it was worse than that. Uh, because back then they had to set it all by hand and do one page at a time. And they would press that page and then they would move it and they'd put another one on there and they'd press that. Can you imagine how long it would take to do one Bible that way? See, we're going to talk about some time frames and we're going to think, preacher, that's an awful long time. Uh, not when you're doing one page at a time, it's not. All right? Now, just we're going to get that perspective. All right? So the first one we're going to talk about is this idea of printing errors. And again, I want to make a clarification on this, this idea of printing errors. We're not talking about problems with the text. All right? We, we went through the text yesterday. We're not talking about a problem with the text. We're talking about a difficulty with the typeset uh, that they were by hand doing for every page. All right? Uh, how, many of you, how many of you have ever taken typing and you've taken those typing tests and you're trying to get those, those numbers up and you look back and you've made four or five errors you didn't even know it? Now, we're human. We do that. So we've got to understand what we're talking about here. All right? So in 1629, there were some, there were some errors. And here, here's a couple of things about that. Number one, remember those were typeset error, uh, errors, not errors with the translation. All right, it was just the typeset. We've talked about that. And these typeset errors were found and corrected within 18 years of the original printing. Within 18 years, they had searched through and read through and gone through and found the problems and corrected them and got them fixed to where now they were printing or able to do uh, uh, fix the, the, the editing or printing errors uh, that were there. But I guarantee you, all of these other perversions, the first thing they're going to tell you is uh, there, were, there were over 400 revisions to the King James Bible. And they're counting all of these where there were typeset errors that they went back and fixed within 18 years, got them right. All right? Now, the first thing I want you to understand, for the most part, for the most part, these things, they were caught early and quickly and fixed. God superintended that and God brought them to a clarity of that. I'm not afraid of, again, of that idea of typeset error revision. Number two, you'll see this. Number two, there was a change in the font. In 1638, uh, there was a change for the first printings. Most of them were, were printed in what's called the old Gothic font. And most folks like that, that gothic font's pretty, you know, it's fancy, uh, it kind of goes along with the old English, and we, we kind of like all of that. Matter of fact, I, you got one up here in the front. Uh, you, you grab that, that old King James 1611 right there, and you open that thing up. Most of us in this room couldn't read that Bible. I'm, I'm going to show you some examples of that here in just a minute. Oh, and can I just say this? I know I, we got preachers in the room, and I'm going to say this, and I hope I don't offend you and make you mad, uh, but, but we got to be careful what we say. Uh, you know, and I've heard, and I, I understand why we say this, but we've got to be careful because what we're doing is we're giving ammunition to our enemies. We'll say, well, I believe in that old King James 1611. There's nobody in this room. I would, I would almost guarantee you there's no one in this room that's carrying a King James 1611. It, it, come try to read it. Now, I understand what we mean when we say that. But again, we've got to be very careful what we say because we don't want to give our enemies ammunition against us. Well, see, you don't even know what you're talking about. 
You know, most of us in here, most of us in here are probably, see, now I'm going to throw dates at you, I'm sorry. Uh, most of us in here are probably, if we looked at our Bibles, most of us are probably carrying a 1769 version of the King James Bible. And we'll stand up and say things like, I'm 1611, and if you get a hold of somebody that knows what they're talking about, they're going to they're gonna twist you up in knots. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. That's right. Texas, I'm going to stick with that one. I'm going to try to stay away from them dates. I'm going to say, say Texas Receptus, and we're going to talk about the lineage, and we're going to deal with all that stuff. All right, I'm just, that's just a warning. You've got to be careful in some of the things you say. Uh, there was a change in the font. 1638. Let me demonstrate this to you. The old Gothic font, that's about what it looked like there on the screen. And on the other side is what we most of us would recognize as the Roman font. All right, let me just show you some of the differences. In the Gothic font, the S, the S was a little bit different. As long as it was a capital S, it looked like ours. Or if it was at the end of a word, or at the beginning of the word, it looked, it looked similar. We could understand that. But if it fell in the middle of the word, it was kind of elongated and it looked more like an F than it did an S. Alright? And there's kind of, uh, give you an idea of what it would have been like. Sun, suns, but when they wrote sunset, it kind of looked like that. Now that's not sunset to me, but you know, that's, that's the same word. That's just the Gothic way it would have represented in the Gothic font. Uh, also this one, the V and the W uh, looked opposite. You ever wondered why we have a W instead of a double V? And that, that never messed anybody else up? <laughs> I mean, that just messed me up. Why? Because in the Gothic font, the U and the V were backwards. All right? Uh, so that's, that's why. So when you brought that over into the Roman, uh, you would go from have, H-A-U-E, would look like that to H-A-V-E in the Roman. Alright? So there's another one. Here's another one. There's no letter J in the Gothic font. That, that's why you would have something like this. And here's, boy, here's a big, you want to get into this discussion, get on Google and talk about this one. You can get all kind of fights over this. There are folks that will fight you over Jesus. That's not His name. Why? Well, they're going back to a Gothic font and the difference between a Roman font. They're talking about a font. I'm talking about a person. And so, so we see the difference. And I'm going somewhere with this. You just hang on because it's, it's going to be important as we look at what the naysayers, the other side's talking about uh, in, in, as far as revisions. The, now this, was, this was just seems so ridiculous, but they counted this. The D... And the old Gothic font had a little curly cue across the top of it. All right? Kind of looked like this. Had a little curly cue on it. And when they went into the Roman, they lost the curly cue. They're counting that as a revision to the King James Bible. Now, let me ask you a question right here, and you'll hear this as we go through a few more times. Did any of this change the meaning of those words? Not in the least. Did not change the meaning of the verse. Didn't change the meaning of the word. All it was was a font change. Yet your 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 purveyors of the perverted, oh, I can't say that twice, uh, 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 versions out there, they will tell oh, that by that King James Bible over four hundred times they revised it. Well, they're counting this kind of stuff. 
If you've got to count this kind of stuff for your revision, you've got a problem. It's, big, it's bigger than this, all right? Uh, so here, let me just give you this. This is a verse that all of us should know. Uh, this is John 3, 16, uh, in the Gothic font. Uh, you would see this, something very similar to this uh, in that Bible sitting right there on, on the table. All right? That does say, For God so loved ye world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That would be in the Gothic font. All right? If you change that into, into the Roman, uh, that's what it would look like. Uh, and there are the changes. So that's what, if you're counting as the revisionists count, you would count eight changes in John 3.16 alone. Again, let me ask you a question. And I know it sounds sarcastic, and I don't mean it to be that way. Did that change any of that verse? Did it change any of the meaning? No, it didn't. But yet there's eight changes that they will count and say, well, see, we told you the King James revised it. Now you hang on to that. We're building something here, all right? Uh, within 27 years of its first printing, 72% of the alleged textual corrections in the King James Bible were complete. 27 years, they fixed the, the uh, typeset errors, they made the change of font, and they got all of that adjusted and all of that changed over. Uh, so they've done those two. And then the next two, this, this is, I, 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 I'm aggravated at this one. This one messes me up, all right? The next one is this. The next two uh, uh, revisions that we see, 1769 and 17, uh, 1762, 1769, are spelling changes. Spelling changes. Here's the statement. This, this is what aggravates me, Brother Seth. The 1600 spelling was according to whim. Not until the 18th century did the spelling begin to stabilize. They kind of spelled things the way they wanted to. That's kind of the way I do it. <laughs> you, know, I just kind of, you, you start trying to read some of the stuff I've written down, you better, uh, it's, uh, it's phonetic. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, about 10 minutes after I write it down, I, I can't read half of it. Uh, but, but anyway, so, but it was spelling changes. Simply spelling. Let me give you a, a couple of examples. There were some additional E's. Uh, there were double vowels uh, that were added. Uh, there were double consonants. See, the way they wrote, they wrote it, it, however they felt. If, if they were, especially if they were writing poetically, uh, they would write it the way it would flow and it would, it would, be, it would fit the poem. And, and so they kind of did it how they wanted to. But they got in the 18th century, they began to standardize that, so they began to change. So here's a couple that they began to change. Uh, if you'll see right there, the word son, S-O-N-N-E, and then you find out here, in the, in, when they went to the Roman, they standardized the spelling. Uh, then it was spelled the way we see it, all right? Uh, and then here, believeth, you can see it, B-E-L-E-E-U-E-T-H, believeth, that's the old Gothic. And then believeth down here, spelled the way we would spell it. Uh, but again, but again, they're going to count these as revisions to the King James Bible. Uh, here's my question again. Did that change anything about the text. None. Zero. Nothing. But they're going to take this and they're going to say, see, they did it to the King James and all we're doing, all we're doing is just continuing what they started. They're lying to you. They're trying to sell their product and they're trying to water down. I'm going to demonstrate it to you. I know it's some bold statements, but I'm going to show you here in just a minute. They're trying to water down the Word of God. All right, we don't have time to chase this rabbit a whole lot, uh, but I'm just going to, I'll say it here. 
Uh, I, I finished, Brother Philip, Brother Philip gave me a book this week. I finished that book this morning uh, by Brother Kirkpatrick. I finished, that's a good book. Uh, but uh, I, why? One of the questions he asks in that book, why are there so many Bible versions? Money. Because every, well, I'm, I'm not going to say every because I, I don't know about every. Most of your modern perversions all have a copyright on them. Matter of fact, when they came out with the New King James, if you'll read up on the New King James, when they came out with that, uh, they said, well, we're just going to fix the archaic words. Uh, we're just going to update the language. And they, they did their first translation, their first run-through, and they presented it for a copyright, and they came back and they said, you've not changed enough in this text from the King James to get a copyright. So they went back and changed some more stuff just to get the copyright on the new King James so they could sell it and make money off of it. That reveals what their desire is. It's not to be spiritual. It's not to be godly. It's not to bring people closer to God. It's to line their pocketbook. So we've got to be very, 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 very careful. All right? Uh, so as we go through this, I'm going to make this statement. I said this already. There were only 400 alleged, underlined, textual changes in over 400 years. Let's take just a moment and let's make some comparisons here. If they're doing it, what they say, we're just making it easier to read. We're doing exactly what the King James did. Let's find out. Might if we take just a few minutes to do that? Let's do that. Let's look at some of this. John chapter 3, verse 15 of the King James Bible, it says that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's John chapter 3, verse 15. In the New King James, it says this, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, that preacher, that looks about the same. However, there's a footnote in the New King James uh, uh, book. And in that footnote, it says, most ancient manuscripts omit this, ver this part. They're calling question uh, to the Word of God. They're casting doubt on what is the Word of God. See, here's my thinking. If you're going to say it shouldn't be in there, you ought to have enough backbone not to put it in there. No, you're trying to sell books. You're trying to straddle the fence. Uh, you're trying to do as close as... Anyway, I've got to move. We'll be here all night. Mark chapter 9, verse 44, verse 46. It says this, Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched in the King James Bible. The New Living Translation it omits those verses and has a note that says some Greek manuscripts exclude this verse. Mm. Now, here we go. Are, now, are we just changing spelling? Are we just changing thought? Or now are we changing meaning? Big difference in what they did with the King James and what all these modern translations are doing. Alright? And you'll see, there are several more. We'll see all these. John chapter 6 Verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The NIV says this, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes what? See, that King James Bible says, That, believes on, that believeth on me. We're talking about believing Christ. That They're watering down the Word of God. Alright? Uh, we're going to keep going. We've got several. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
The, the English standard, I'm going to pick on most of them tonight. The English standard version says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. First, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Can you see where they've watered down the word of God? The gospel of what? The gospel of Christ, the King James Bible says. There's clarity there. Not in, not in the English standard. We, again, we need to be very, very careful. They're not doing the same thing that they did with the King James. They're changing the text and they're changing the meaning. Alright? Uh, well, Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts chapter 8, verse 37. The English Standard Version and most of your other modern perversions uh, exclude that verse. Why is it so important that that verse be in there? Most of you that know the context of that verse, is that not where Philip goes to the eunuch and, and he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And the response is, if thou believest with all thy heart thou mayest, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38 says, well, here's what uh, says, they both went down into the water and he baptized him. See, we've got to be very careful. If we drop that verse, now we're teaching baptismal regeneration. They're watering down the Word of God. They're changing the truth of the gospel. Oh, we've got to be careful. All right. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Uh, the NIV says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. They dropped that ye should not obey the truth. Hey, there's something about obeying the Word of God. There's something about submitting ourselves to the truth of that book. Again, just a, a, a demonstration that they are watering down the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Who being the brightness of His glory and expressed the image of His person and upholding all things by the Word of His power, when He, hath, when he, had, when he had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. The English Standard Version says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How did he make purification for sins? The King James tells us, by himself. He gave himself, died on Calvary's cross, shed his blood. That's a powerful change in the Word of God. And we could go on. I'm, I, don't, I forget how many I've got in here. First John, oh, this one's fun. First John chapter 5. You really want to mess somebody up, you, you need to remember Acts chapter 8. And 1 John chapter 5, if you'll remember those two, I heard a guy uh, one time, he went in and preaching to church where they kind of used a number of different perversions in that church and he got in there and he called his text and it was, it was Acts chapter 8 verse 36. He said it was mass confusion because half of them in the room didn't have that verse in their Bible. Amen. That's a good way to demonstrate your point. He, 1 John chapter 5 verse 7 and verse 8, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are... One, period. Well, that's, hey, all right. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. What about this, the NIV? For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and, they, and the three are in agreement. Drops the entire trinity, the entire trinity from that passage. See, remember yesterday, 
uh, uh, Brother Gipps said something about that. He said those in Alexandria, in Alexandria, Egypt did not believe in a trinity. Therefore, they took that out of the Word of God. Alright, so we're just seeing the demonstration. Uh, here's the, and we could go on. Those are just a few. We don't have time. to. Uh, we could spend hours uh, just going over verses that are changed. 6,000 different verses that have been changed. And we'll talk about that tomorrow night. Uh, but uh, we could go on and on and on. But here's the statement. There is no revision problem with the King James Bible. There is no revision. Typeset errors that were corrected. Font change that they made. Spelling changes that were adjusted, but nothing that changed the meaning of the text that was underlying. That textus receptus came through, and God preserved His Word just like He promised He would. Refer to yesterday's message. Alright? Uh, so that's the first uh, uh, area of investigation, the revisions of the King James Bible. Now, now and I don't, I don't suggest you do this, uh, as a matter of fact, I've got in my briefcase over there, I've got a big stack of uh, things that you could look at. Uh, I, I went on the internet, I went on Google, and I searched for contradictions in the King James Bible. And printed page after page after page of supposed contradictions. Some of them were so ridiculous uh, that they're not even worth mentioning. I, I'm going to mention a few here tonight just to help you, number one, understand their mindset. Number two get a hold of their ridiculousness, and number three, demonstrate how we can combat and overcome these folks that say, well, there are contradictions. Uh, again, here's your key. I'm going to give you the key word, and then we're going to jump in. All right, you ready? Here, write it down. Key word. Here it is. Study. Study. See, it's going to take some effort. On the surface, I guarantee you, I feel so stuff that you're going to go, oh wow, what do you do with that? You study. That's what you do with it. Alright, let me give you just a few. Okay, here we go. Number, uh, some, some doubters continue to promote contradictions in the King James Bible. Uh, number one, the order of creation. You, you, they're still, and I'm not, we're not even talking about evolution. Alright, we're, we're just, we're, we, we, kind of, we kind of ran that one in the ground the other night. So we're going to leave that alone. We're not even going to talk about evolution. Alright? We're just going to talk about the Scriptures. The order of creation. So in the order of creation, they'll say that Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 give two different orders. They give two different orders. Therefore, there's a contradiction in the Bible. It's not right. They'll say this. They'll say in Genesis chapter 1, you'll have day 1, heaven and earth and light, and the water and the firmament and the lands and the plants, the sun, moon, the stars, the birds and the fish, animals and man, and that's Genesis chapter 1. And then they'll say this, Genesis chapter 2, you'll see the, the earths and the heavens, then you'll see man, and then you'll see the animals brought before man, uh, and then you'll see Eve later in, the, in, in chapter 2, therefore there must be a contradiction. Well, how do you answer that? Well, you've you got, you got to study a little bit. You've got to know a little bit about Genesis, and a little bit about the writings, and you've got to understand that in Genesis chapter number 1, God's revealing His creative work. God's saying that in six days He created everything. And here is the order in which He created everything. Genesis chapter 1. Hey, we said yesterday that Jesus believed and verified the Genesis account of creation. Amen. Amen. If He believed it, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Amen. That was a little sarcasm there. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, so Genesis chapter 2, however, we're going to find that He's giving further detail to what He had done in Genesis chapter 1. 
You remember in Genesis chapter 1, God said that He made man, male and female created He them. And then in Genesis chapter 2, He comes back and says, oh, let me tell you how that female came about. I put Adam to sleep, I took a rib, and I made Eve. Not two separate creations. He's just explaining or expounding upon what He did in Genesis chapter number 1. Again, we're demonstrating the ridiculousness of some of their complaints and then how we can overcome those complaints by studying the Word of God. Alright? Number two, we'll look at this. Uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Uh, they'll say this. Uh, they'll say that there was no moon, sun, there was no moon or no stars for the first three days, but yet God created light on the first day. Alright, let me go ahead and talk about this. <laughs> Light was created by God and He didn't need the sun or the moon. Light was a creation of God and then God gave us the sun and the moon as for signs and seasons and to put things in place for us. Alright? Again, we're studying creation. We're studying what God has done. We're understanding the process and the plan of God. Oh, and by the way, they'll say this as well. Well, those plants, they were created on day three, and that sun wasn't created until day four. How in the world did those plants make it one whole day without the sun? Don't you know the sun is what they, where they get their food and the, how they survive? Well, I'll challenge you. See, that's why I believe in a literal six-day creation and a literal seventh day of rest because here's the thing. I don't suggest you do this, young people. You get you in big trouble, but here's the illustration. If you go home tonight and you take your mom's favorite plant and you take that plant and you put it... In, I start to say basement. We have basements up here, down here, do we? Where I'm from, up in Kentucky, we have basements. You put it in the closet, no light at all, close the door, leave it there for 24 hours. You come back in 24 hours, that plant might be a little wilted, but it's going to be all right. It's going to survive for 24 hours. That's not a problem for God. They did not need that sun to survive. God put them on the planet, and God said, okay, here they are. They're going to make it. It's, it's frivolous to begin to say, well, well there, the sun wasn't there, therefore they didn't have life. They forget the power of God and they're trying to rationalize and, 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 and humanize what God has, has done. Alright, so that's number two. Uh, we find uh, the, the moon and the stars. Alright, number three, which came first? Well, this is fun. And I'm, we're gonna, we got one more and then we'll make an observation. Alright, so just bear with me. Which came first, animal kind or mankind? Remember we said in Genesis chapter 1, God said He made animals first and then He made man. But you get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 and verse 19, that you have Adam and Eve there and God brings uh, all the animals before Adam and He names them. So again, which is it? If you're still struggling with this, you've got bigger problems. You, you're, you're not just not understanding, you're denying the Word of God. You're working hard at trying to find a problem with the Word of God. Uh, because again, we found Genesis chapter 1, God creates. Uh, and then Genesis chapter 2, God's bringing the animals before Adam that he might name them. Uh, boy, that's a whole fun. We could spend a lot of time on that one. Uh, boy, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that one, right? Uh, Adam's sitting there and God brings up this animal and Adam looks at it and goes, rhinoceros. Amen. That's, that's, you know, and we could go through all that. That's, that seemed like it would be fun to me. All right. Number four. Number four. Now, here's my observation. That's my little note to say observation here. Here's my observation. Four, we're in four already. Have you noticed that all four of these are in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? There's a significance there. 
Because if the devil can attack the foundations. See, just about every cardinal doctrine that we believe, we find the foundation of that cardinal doctrine in the book of Genesis. And if you attack the book of Genesis, you're attacking the foundations of Christianity. Amen, that costs you nothing extra. The birds, where were the birds created from? Again, we're back to that Genesis 1-2 thing. Genesis chapter 1 verse 20, the Bible says that God created the fowls from the, from the waters. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1. But you get in Genesis chapter 2, it said He brought them up out of the ground. Alright, so I don't think I need to belabor that one anymore, right? God creates in chapter 1. God brings the animals to Adam in chapter number 2. Get over yourself. Let's move on. Alright. Number 5. Oh, this was fun. So now we're going to get a little bit more into that study thing. Number five, Solomon's horsemen. <clears throat> All right, come on now. We're in a hurry. First Kings chapter 4 and verse number 26. Look at what it says here. Now read it carefully. Now there's your key. I'm, 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 let, I'm letting the cat out of the bag right there. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. All right, you read that. You got that? Okay, so here's the contradiction, or what they'll tell you is the contradiction. Second Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 25, it says, And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen who he bestowed in chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. So what was it? Was it 40 or was it 4? Obviously, one of these scribes just forgot some zeros. You know, they just messed up in copying the Word of God and they didn't get it just right. So, you know, one of them's wrong. No, did you read that? We're going to read it again. Now, say I got your attention. Read it slow. First Kings. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. And then look, look, Second Chronicles. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots. Can we not see he's speaking about two different things? The wording's different. See, we've got to be careful. We read the Bible. Let me give you something extra. You'll write this down. We read the Bible slowly and carefully. Because we want to know what it says, not what we think it says, or what not, or not what Dr. Bottlestopper said it says. We want to look at what the Bible has to say. So we're back to studying. We can clear this up very carefully just by carefully reading the Scriptures. Alright? Uh, we'll move on for sake of time. Joseph's father. Now this one's fun. Uh, this one again takes a little bit of study. Takes a little bit of effort. You've got to spend some time. You've got to read a little bit. Joseph, we're talking about uh, Mary's husband who was Joseph's father. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 16 we find these words, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Alright, and then in Luke chapter 3, in verse 23, we find this wor- these, these words, And Jesus Himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Uh-oh. Oh, we got a... Con- what do we do with that, preacher? we got a contradiction. No, 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 no. How many of us have read this before and understand that in Matthew, uh, they're giving us the kingly line uh, of Christ. Uh, Matthew presents Christ as the king of kings and it presents that line all the way back to Solomon and it presents that line through Joseph, uh, which was his daddy, uh, was Jacob. 
But then you get into Luke, you're going to find that the lineage that's there is a little different because now he's talking about the lineage of Christ as the Son of Man. And he's following that lineage all the way, all the way back through Mary's ancestry. Uh, and so we find that mentioned all the way back through the book of Luke. Does Again, it takes some study, but if we will read it and look at it and understand what he's teaching us in the book. See, we're back to this. Here, we're like, as Baptist folk, preachers, we love this word. We're back to context. 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 We've got to keep it in context. Because if we don't, uh, it's going to become a mess. And you're going to be preaching all kind of stuff out there and you're going to be one of them cults running around uh, that's teaching stuff different than everybody else. Let's just stand on what thus saith the Lord. Let's study to show ourselves approved. All right, we'll look at the next one. Number seven. Uh, and, and I, and this, this just boggles my mind that they want to fuss about this. What was the last word of Jesus? You know, and here, here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, Jesus, if you read the Gospels, you'll find in Matthew 27, uh, the last words we find of Jesus is, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, and then they'll say, but if you look in the book of Luke, chapter 23, you'll find that the last words recorded of Christ, your Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. And then they'll say, but if you look in the book of John, chapter 19, you'll find the last recorded words of Christ, or it is finished. So what are they? Which one is it? <laughs> Again, study. Take those passages. Write them out. Compare them. Look at the crucifixion. Look at what's going on. Lay them out side by side. And if you'll study, here's what you'll find. Oh, oh, let me stop. Let me start right here, preacher. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't have to pay me for this, okay? Uh, don't just wait and for your preacher to come spoon feed you and tell you how all this works. You've got to learn to get in that book, and I know he's teaching you that. I know he's teaching you how to get in that book and read and study and learn to hear from God and let the Holy Spirit of God lead you into truth. Hey, you run into something difficult. I'm sure he'll help you. He'll pray with you. He'll talk to you about it. But listen, you've got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit of God, and you've got to learn to study and, and apply context and principle to learn what the Spirit of God and what the, what the Scripture's teaching. All right? So I'll just give you these real quick. I don't have time to preach this. I'd love to. Uh, but he, you go through and you put them in context. You go through those stories. You lay them side by side. You'll find out. Here's what he said. Number one, he said, Father, forgive them in Luke 23. Then he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise to the thief in Luke 23. And then he said, Behold thy son to Mary. Son, behold thy mother to John. John chapter 19. Then he said, Why hast thou forsaken me in Matthew chapter 27? And then he says, I thirst in John chapter number 29. And then he says, it is finished in John 19, verse 30. And then, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit in Luke 23. It's not difficult to find these if you will apply yourself to a study of the Word of God. But that's what people don't want to do. They don't want to spend the time necessary to get in the Word of God and study. Now, number eight, let me give you this one. Jesus is equal to or lesser than God. Well, which is it? Notice what he says here. I'll give you these. He says this, come on now, work with me. He says this in John chapter 10 in verse number 30, I and my Father are one. That's what Jesus said. Alright, same book, book of John chapter 14. Jesus says this, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Well, what is it? 
Are they one? Or is the Father greater than the Son? See, now we got a problem again. We, we, got, we got a difficulty. No, 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 not if you study. Not if you study. We understand in the Trinity that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God, that they are one in essence. One God. Alright? But we also understand the Scriptures teach, we don't have time to go through all of these, Matthew chapter 3 is a great example because there you have the Father speaking from heaven. You've got the Son in the water and you've got the Holy Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove upon Him. All three present at the same time. Alright? So we find that the Father and the Son, there is a, 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 there, there's a difference there. They're one in essence. But there is a difference from the Scriptures. We find in Acts chapter number uh, which one? Ten. Acts chapter number ten. That there's a difference, but that the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus said that He would send the Spirit. Uh, Acts chapter ten. So we find a difference there. Uh, we find in uh, John chapter fourteen uh, that there's a difference made in the, the Holy Spirit and the Father. There's there, that I can't explain all that. You, Brother Seth, when you when you get the Trinity all figured out and worked out and write that book, send me a copy. I'd, I'd like to have it. Uh, but I do know this. By faith, we believe that the Bible, that what the Bible teaches, and that Bible teaches a trinity. We might understand all of it, but we believe it by faith. And here's the statement. He is lesser than God by choice. Did, did not, what was the book of Philippians that said this, that he was made a little lower than the angels? That he submitted himself to the death of the cross? Became obedient to that death? Alright, so we see as in studying the word of God, not a contradiction, not a contradiction at all if we study the context of what he's talking about. All right? Come on, statement. All right. I, it, I, do know, I do not know of a supposed contradiction that has stood up to a careful reading of and faith in the Bible as God's Word. See, there's your statement. Those that are saying, well, there's contradictions all through that, they don't believe it to start with. Of course they're going to find contradictions in it. But those of us that believe God and have faith in God, what we're going to do, we see something that we don't quite understand, we're going to say, okay God, I don't get this. I know it's not a contradiction. What do you mean here? Lead me to the truth of what you're dealing with. Help me understand what's happening here. And we study and we pray and we seek and we work and we let God speak to our hearts. Alright, finally, finally we'll get to these. We'll do these very quickly, I promise. Uh, we'll do these quickly. We'll talk about the accuracy of the King James Bible. Uh, here's the statement. The statement is this. There's never been one scientific, and I said this the other day, there's never been one scientific fact that's been discovered that's ever contradicted that book. Not one. Matter of fact, what happens is, every time they discover something, they go, oh wow, that's exactly what the Bible said. <laughs> but let, me give you, let me give you this, this quick. I, I heard a guy say this. Uh, years ago, and I thought it was cute. And I, I think I, I think I said it. I, if I said this here already, just smile, okay? Because I, I forget. Preached three times over yonder. I don't remember. When they got ready to go to the moon, we don't have any moon landing doubters. Don't answer. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. But when they went to the moon, you. <laughs> well, that was a tough one. When they went to the moon, you remember the pictures? You remember the pictures of the moon landing? And they had that, that orbital lander, when it landed, it had that big old long legs on it. And they had to go down that big long ladder to get to the ground. Wouldn't it have been easier if they could have just stepped out onto the ground? Why did they have them big long legs on it? That's a neat story. 
See, these scientists who believe in millions and millions of years, they calculate if that moon been spinning through space and running around there for millions and millions of years, it collects dust, space dust, while it's floating through, through space. And they calculated if it had been millions of years that thing been running around up there, there should have been 14, 11 to 14 feet of dust on the moon. So they built those big long legs so when it landed it would sink into the dust and, and it wouldn't go out of sight. That's what they were for, literally. Well, how many of you saw the pictures? That thing landed and that boy's footprint, what, about yay deep? If you take about, I don't know how yay deep is, but you, you take whatever, they, I forget they said how many inches are on there. You take how many inches of dust is on the moon and, and use their calculations of how much dust it, it, it gathers each year, uh, guess what? You come up with about 6,000 years. Well, glory, that's exactly what the Bible says. Go figure. Amen. All right, scientific accuracy. Let me just give you these real quick. Um, we'll be done tonight. Number one, number one. Please, number one. All right. Uh, plants and animals re reproduce after their kind. Yeah, yeah, hey, listen, evolutionists don't believe that. Now, come on now. They don't believe that. We understand this. We understand that uh, you know, there's many varieties of dogs. We've got two useless dogs outside. Useless. I mean, they're useless. All right? <laughs> My daughter's back here fussing at me. All right? We understand there's a bunch of variety of different dogs, but how many of us in here will agree that all of those different varieties of dog came from two dogs on Noah's Ark? They were dogs. Now, they might have been you know, gray wool. They might have, I don't know what they looked like, what they, but they were dogs. See, but evolution doesn't teach that. Evolution teaches they came from a rock. Is that not the truth? That's what they teach. That everything came from some rock somewhere. If they just read the Bible, they'd figure that out or come from a carrot or whatever. They know it's a dog. A dog. All right? Bible teaches that. Uh, Genesis chapter number one. Not hard to figure out. Uh, number two, the earth hangs on nothing. If they'd have read the book of Job, chapter 26, you want to write this down. We don't have time to go and read all of these. Job 26, if you want to go and look at that, you'll find out that God hung the earth on nothing. You know, there are, million, there, there are many, there are many theories. And you can go look at some of them in, in mythology. Uh, somebody was talking about this the other night uh, over there at supper uh, about the, 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 the elephants uh, and, and the tortoise uh, and Atlas. There are many, many different theories about how what's supporting the earth. God hung it on nothing. God's the one that's holding it there. If they just go read the Bible, they'd figure it out. Alright? We're just talking about the scientific accuracy of the Word of God. Alright? Let, let's go and let's talk about a couple others. Uh, number three. I'm going to get myself in trouble here again. The earth is a sphere. Now, I know you got some of them flat earth guys. I get it. I've seen them. I've been on Google. I get it. But they're not reading the Bible. What's the Bible say? You go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse number 22, you'll find out that the earth is a sphere. The circle of the earth. It says it right there. If folk, here's, here's the idea. If people would just read the Bible, it would have advanced science quickly, a lot faster than it did if they just believed the book. All right, that was Isaiah, chapter 40. We'll move on. We'll find this one. There are paths in the sea. Isaiah 43 talks about paths in the sea. When was the book of Isaiah written? Thousands of years ago. 
But you know, it wasn't recently they figured out that there are paths in the sea. There are currents and, and all of these pathways in the sea. If they'd have just read the Bible, they'd have figured out that the Bible's right. And it, it's exactly like the Bible said. Now, I know, I know we're getting into preacher. This is, this is overkill. I get it. But we're just trying to demonstrate we can trust this book. All right, the next one is this, that air has weight. Job 28 talks about that. Verse 25, the weight of air. Uh, we, we get all of the, the, the ideas of the flying and all the things that we have. But it's because of the weight of air. And we Scientifically, they could have figured that out a whole lot sooner if they had just read the Bible. The Bible is true. All right, uh, we'll get the next one. Uh, we talked about this, springs in the sea. Job chapter 38, verse 16 I read somewhere that it was in the early 70s. I was alive back then. Why? <laughs> now some of you young people don't look get wide-eyed now. They didn't figure that out to the mid-70s. That there were freshwater springs in the sea. Job knew about it in Job 38. If they had just read the book, they'd have figured that out a long time ago. There's a couple of pictures. Uh, Job 38 springs there in the sea. All right? Uh, the next one, we'll talk about this, the way of light and the place of darkness. That's what Job says in Job 38. The way of light and the place of darkness. What's the definition of darkness? Simply the absence of light. Darkness cannot exist where there is light. So darkness is a, has a place, but yet light has a way. They talk about the speed of light. Job, Job, Job knew about that, Job 38. Way before Einstein ever figured it out. Amen, all right. <laughs> Job 38, 19, all right. Uh, the next one, we'll talk about this one. Uh, the hydro, I cannot say that word, I mess it up every time. Hydrological system, again, Job 38, Ecclesiastes chapter number 1. What are we talking about? We're talking about that whole system where uh, water evaporates into the clouds, uh, con uh, condenses into rain, falls back on the earth, runs in the rivers, back out to the, to, to the lakes and the oceans, evaporates into the clouds, and that circle. That's talked about in Job 38. Thousands of years ago. If they'd have just read the book of Job, they'd have figured it out. Because the Bible is correct. Alright? Two more, I think. Two, yeah, two more. Light creates wind. If they, again, we're back in Job 38. Uh, they would have figured that out. And there, there's that system again. Uh, the sun warms the air. Uh, the air rises. It moves out over the cooler waters, drops down as it cools off, rushes back over, and causes the wind. That's where the wind comes from. Job knew that. How many of you understand that Job was probably the first book of the Bible that was written? Job knew about it. We'd have been a whole lot better off if we'd have just listened to the Word of God. Alright, we'll give you the last one. Leviticus chapter 17, verse number 11, talks about the life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. You, you realize our first president, George Washington, you realize that he was bled to death? He died because the doctors literally bled him to death. You go back and study George Washington. He got sick. And back when George Washington was alive, the doctors believed that when you got sick, you had bad blood. So what they would do is they would bleed you. They had to get the bad blood out so you could get better. Oh, by the way, this is a fun story too. Anybody know who used to do the bloodletting? Who used to do the bleeding? The barber. That's why there's a red stripe on that barber's pole. That's true. 
So they took George Washington to the barber. They bled him. He didn't get any better. So they said, well, he's still got bad blood. So they bled him again. And, and they bled him three or four times, and George Washington died because they bled him to death. If they had just read the Bible, they'd have understood that life's in the blood. Now, we've gone through those very quickly, and we've talked about these three areas. But we need to understand uh, that, again, scientific discoveries not disprove the Bible. Everything they've ever discovered in science, true science. I'm not talking about this pseudoscience mess that's going on out there. I'm talking about true, observable, demonstrable, and reproducible science. You know, like it used to be. That proves that Word of God. So here's the statement. We have without a doubt the inspired, inerrant, infallible, inexhaustible Word of God in our King James Bible. There was no revision problem in the King James Bible. They, they, they may have fixed some printing errors. They, they may have changed the font. They, they may have fixed some spelling difficulties. But they did not change the text of the Word of God. No revision problem with the King James. There's no contradiction problem. There's no contradiction problem in that book that a conscious study of the Word of God and prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit will not answer. And then number three, there's no accuracy problem in that book. If that book says it, you better do it. I think I said this yesterday. My daddy used to tell me when I was a boy, he used to say, son, if I tell you an ant can pull a freight train, you hook him up. Amen. If it's in that Bible, you take it to the bank because that Bible's right. We need to get back to a faith and a confidence in the Word of God. I asked you last night, do you love your Bible? Oh, don't, don't tell me about this. Show me by this. Show me by how you live and what you do. Miss Katie, one of Miss Katie's favorite phrases, what's in the well is going to come up in the bucket. What's in your heart is what you're going to do. Is your life a demonstration that you love this book? Because you're letting it lead you in your life.